this is what, you know, like 10 years ago, I never would have imagined being here. And like the fact that I am here is incredible, but also where is the money that should fall from the sky right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> This is a show about creative people and their creative practices. It's your weekly reminder that you are not alone in figuring out how to do the creative work that matters to you. Welcome to The Used Key. I'm your host, Ray Kess. One in a million, you're gonna shine when the light grows dim. Sing This season, we're talking about money. And today, I have the pleasure and privilege of speaking with Casey Rochateau. Thank you for being here, Casey. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ray. I have folks introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Sure. I am Casey Rochateau. I am a poet, artist, and sometimes communications manager for the Detroit Justice Center. <laughs> and now podcaster. And, and uh, sometimes podcaster while we're at it. <laughs> You must be a creative. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Very much that. And before we get started, what are your pronouns? They, them. Cool. So as you know, we're going to be talking about money and your creative practice. And before we get to the present day, I would love to know a little bit about how money shaped your childhood. I grew up like working class poor, you know, so I think I always kind of understood like I'm not ever going to ball out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like as a kid, it's not going to happen for me. Growing up, my dad was the produce manager of a grocery store and my mom worked sometimes, but then sometimes didn't, you know, like there was a year where she was delivering papers. She'd get up at like four in the morning to go throw papers on, you know, mm. she worked for a while at the Cape Cod Chamber of Commerce, which when I started working when I was like 14. My first job was at Papaginos, which is just a chain of pizza restaurants and because I was 14 and in this body, they were just like, okay, well, you're in charge of the kids' birthday parties. And I hated it. It was like the worst. And then eventually through my mom ended up being able to work at the Chamber of Commerce for a little bit, which was also just a trip. I grew up in, on Cape Cod, which people think of as you know, a vacation hotspot for the rich and white, which is, it's not, not that, you know, mm -hmm. it is very much that, but there are people that live there year round. And I would get crazy ass questions all the time from people working at the chamber, you know, just like, oh, there are people that live there. There are roads there. And then it, it would get really funny because Provincetown is like a gay hotspot at the very right. end of the Cape. Right. And I would get these like, you know, like oaky. I shouldn't be so rude, but, you know, like, <laughs> you know, just like some dude would call and be like, OK, well, I want to take my family on a whale watch. And if we go out to Provincetown. Are they going to be on the boat? <laughs> it's like, oh, God, sir, they could be anywhere. You could be talking to one right now. You don't even know. <laughs> Imagine the horror. You might even like them. Yeah, they might be friendly and personable and like not, you know, be out to harm you or your family in any way. <laughs> so for me, it was like working as a teenager it was just so I could buy whatever I wanted, you know, like clothes, CDs, books. And then as I started thinking about like going towards to college, it wasn't like I had, there wasn't a, a fund, you know, like I had to figure out like, okay, so I'm going to go to college. How am I going to pay for this? Mm. And so it, you know, it was a, a combination of scholarships and student loans, which as a, just a, a bit of money advice to anyone in college 
do not ever take out a private loan on like just don't do it <laughs> be paying that shit back for the rest of your life and it will balloon up you know like by the end of four years of college i my debt coming out of school i think was about the price of one year's tuition at hampshire which is where i went and i thought okay i just got four years of college for the price of one i scammed the shit out of them not true <laughs> In the durational long view of things, that opposite, opposite <laughs> is what happened. Yeah. I read a lot of personal finance books slash finance books. And the more I learn about the American education loan system, it's just like, here's a bear trap, stick your leg in it. Yeah. It's like, hey, take our youngest and brightest minds and make sure that they are immediately in debt so that they don't get any funny ideas. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's real. So what does your creative practice look like now? It's sort of all over the place, I'd say. I, I think part of it right now, because I work a normal nine to five job, I do what I can when I can. I'm not, you know, like I've, the past couple of weeks I've had vacation. So I've done a lot of like, okay, let me print the manuscript and like go through and like edit it by hand and then go back to the digital document and like, I hadn't really had time to do that kind of in-depth work. So that's been great because I've got a, a dear friend who's been hope, like hosting these revision classes. And it's been it's been a real godsend to like have that, you know, like this friend of mine I've known since college who's just like an excellent teacher and was like, hey, do you want to come do this thing that we're doing over here? And I was like, hell yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> that thing I wouldn't do on my own. Willingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like immensely helpful and should I should probably like seek these things out on my own, you know, like very much that. So it's been that it's been a lot of there's a lot of stuff when you the year turns, there's a lot of stuff with deadlines on January 15th. So it's just been like stockpiling bookmarks in my on Twitter. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to come back to these in a couple of days. And mm. so, yeah, playing for some grant stuff right now. And I, I can say this because I've said this uh, to my boss several times, which is, you know, we do like a year review and like self-reflection and it asks like, what are your plans for the next one to two years? And then like three to five years. And I'm like, okay, in three to five years, I hope, you know, like I'm not trying to use this job as a stepping stone to a comms job in some other organization or business. I want to be able to leave here with a really like, solid skill set from this job but also just move into doing my creative practice full time and in the meantime uh, you know like a lot of this isn't part of my creative practice this goes back more into the money but one of the big mm. things for me has been because I have the sort of steady income saving money so that like when I do make that leap I'm gonna have a little bit of cushion so I'm not like scrambling around like okay how do I get, you know, like a, like contract work really quick. And like, you know, cause I've been in that position before and it sucks. It sucks to like leave a job and just not know what you're going to do next. Totally. There's that. What is it? I'm forgetting his name, but it's called, I don't want to die poor. Oh, it's a book. And the, the guy's a writer mm -hmm. and he writes about his student debt. Like it sort of talks about how he, you know, I think he came from like a working class family and like put himself through college and didn't really understand the system, but also it's a system designed to screw even the smartest people over. So it doesn't really matter. Right. But essentially he was getting traction as a writer 
and like was on TV and was getting interviews, but was like, could barely make rent, you know? That is not, it is not dissimilar from when I won the house. (laughs) Oh yeah. Tell me. (laughs) I mean, it was very much like I, uh, uh, there were so many, I talked to so many journalists. It was like when I won, it was kind of nuts. I, let's see. It was September 12th, 2014. Picture it. Venice. No. Um, <laughs> nice. And no. I, well, I do get to Italy eventually. It was actually crazy. So oh. I get the call that I won the house and I'm like, oh, this is wild. And then they say, we want to fly you out here for like the big announcement party. And I'm like, okay. And it was a week after that. And I was like, uh, I can do that, but I can only stay for about 24 hours because I have to come back to New York and get on a plane because I had gotten into bread loaf in Sicily. And so I didn't have money to be doing anything that I was doing. And I had just finished grad school. I had spent the summer working at camp for the Girls Leadership Institute at Mount Holyoke College. And so... I lived on campus all summer, which kind of helped save money. But like, you know, it was like five grand for most of the summer. Right. And so I flew into Detroit. I remember being on the phone with the unemployment office to like arguing with them at the airport and being like, what is my life? So I came out to Detroit for a day. We did the big celebration. And then I had to fly back into New York the next morning and then just wait at JFK for a couple of hours because I was boarding a flight to Italy. It was insane. And again, I was just like, what is my life? Because I can't, like, I'm literally like arguing with the unemployment office on the phone. Why am I jet setting around the world right now? And then uh, something got screwed up with my flight. So I flew into Rome. Something got screwed up with my flight from Rome to Sicily. So I couldn't get on the plane immediately. They like wouldn't let me board. I had to sleep on the floor of the Rome airport and catch like a flight the next morning. It was a mess. And then I I got there and I'm like, we're on the top of this mountain in Sicily Mm. in this very old hotel. This, you know, like ancient town. And, you know, like there were all these rumors that the Knights of Templar had like hidden things in the walls in this town. And I was like, okay, this is like, this is really, really far out. But I was taking calls from like NPR from a landline in my hotel room on this, like top of this mountain in Italy and just being like, this is the most surreal thing that's ever happened. And I think from the outside, everything appears like, you know, like this is, this is what is success. You know, this is what, you know, like, 10 years ago, I never would have imagined being here. And like the fact that I am here is incredible, but also where is the money that should fall from the sky right now? (laughs) does money influence your creative practice now? It's hard to say. I mean, it's hard as somebody who's primarily a poet. Poets don't typically make money. We don't we don't even get book advances. You know, like the mm. fact that like maybe a couple hundred people are going to read your book is like the, the, the you know, it's like being on the Great British Bake Off. Like you get your cake tray and the glory and you move on. <laughs> it's it's that's what being a poet is like, I think. Mm. It's a a mistake that a lot of, I I think, younger poets 
make, particularly if you came up like I did through sort of slam poetry, right? You think, okay, I'll get, you know, I'll do the work. I'll put in the work at my home venue and then like I'll make chat books and then like maybe I can get booked at other venues. And I've done that. It's a ton of fun. You know, it is like a, a blast to go to other cities and read your poems. But the fact of the matter is like if you break even on a poetry tour, you did well. You know, like it's not a money making venture. So I think now it's a little bit different. I, I I'm like trying not to trying to think of the least gross way to say this, but it's like it's I, I I have diversified my income streams. Uh, mm. Yes. <laughs> One of the things that happened actually as I was I did a GoFundMe to get to Italy in the first place. Mm. And one of the things that came out of that, one of the perks, or maybe it was like an Indiegogo, was I was going to hand make collage postcards and send them to people. Mm. And I thought, okay, I'll make this more cohesive project and I will make them tarot cards. Oh, cool. And that's, I just like was literally like furiously like collaging like a maniac three days before I had to get on this plane to Detroit so I could get these things out. And my roommate walked in and was like, what you doing? <laughs> Are you having a breakdown? No. Yeah. Like, oh, 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 OK, I get it. I get it. But then they were looking at the the cards and they were just like, these are like gorgeous, original works of art. Why are you just giving them away? Mm. So then I, at that point, because I had already graduated, kind of just slinked on to the new school's campus, scanned all of the cards so I would have copies of them. And that eventually became the Shrine of the Black Medusa Tarot deck. So then I was just kind of making that for friends, but people start, it started like picking up interest. And I was like, oh, I could sell these, you know, like I could print these and sell them, I guess, if people want them. Mm. I wasn't really thinking about it as like, oh, this is a project that I'm going to launch and this is going to be part of, you know, whatever. But it became this thing that was just like, honestly, it kept me afloat for a little bit because I was working sort of part time teaching gigs and having that extra revenue from this this project that I was just sort of like not even trying to make money off of really helped a lot, you know, so yeah, I think in a lot of ways, my sort of my creative practice is not influenced by money because I do not ever anticipate making money out of my creative practice. Fair. It's more when there are moments where I'm like, oh, I have done something creative and people would like to pay me for it. Cool. <laughs> you know, it, it's much more that. So when you going back to what you said earlier about wanting to eventually leave your job at the Detroit Justice Center and, you know, move into just being a full time creative, what do you sort of have envisioned for that structure? Well, somebody hands me a suitcase full of money. <laughs> Great. I'm here for it. <laughs> no, uh, I, it's hard because, you know, it's say three to five years and I don't actually know what the timeline is. I think part of it is within my job. I've also created opportunities for myself to also be working creatively, even though mm. I am the comms director and I'm like, putting out press releases and statements and talking to journalists and doing all the things that a comms director would do. I've also started this podcast and started an artist residency. And so there's a lot that is like fulfilling some of those creative impulses within the job. And I think when I think about leaving, one of the things for me is that I, I know, and I'm like, I don't want to jinx myself by saying it, but you know, like a big thing for me is that 
I would really like to not pivot, but begin to incorporate like filmmaking as part of my practice. Mm. So, you know, part of that for me has been looking like, okay, do I go back to school? Do I take classes while I'm still working? Because I think as a writer, of course, I'm just like, I can write a script. That's not, that's no problem. Mm. Anybody can do it. You know, if Seth Rogen can do it, I can do it. (laughs) Yeah. And probably way better. (laughs) No. So, and I won't have James Franco in there making everything creepy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. But it, it is very much a big question mark right now. So it's, it's hard Mm. for me to picture. It's hard for me to picture because I think right now I'm just sort of like, taking small steps learning certain things but the you know like I don't just want to be a screenwriter like I want to like write and direct movies I mean really my goal is in the next let's say 10 to 15 years to like write and direct a film that is that's it like it's you know it's like here's a goal that I can probably achieve and not expect to become you know like Greta Gerwig or something but like just having that in my mind is something to like look to creatively and then just doing all I can to to bolster my own practice in that and and sort of develop that skill set as I'm both still working and then once I transition out. So, yeah. So as you and I both know, money is never just about money. What are some other factors that influence your relationship with money and or your ability to make money as a creative? For a while, uh, one of the things for me was just sort of like, I'll try I'll try anything once. I might even try anything twice, you know, just to make sure if I didn't like it the first time, the second time, if I still don't like it, it's a wrap. Mm. I think what influences like my choice to do certain things, right? Like I think I could have not applied for this job at the Detroit Justice Center. You know, I could have tried to like dive into life as a full-time creative at that point. And instead I started to get into it. You know, I think one of the things like I was not, I've worked for many a nonprofit in my life and I will say I've never been happier at a job, which is huge. You know, I think that's a big part of like, if you're weighing like being your own boss and like doing your creative work and like, that is, it sounds really appealing to like a sense of freedom and creativity and exploration, but like you, d- the hustle is real, you know, like you really have to mm-hmm. be putting in as much, if not more work than a full-time job to make that work for you. So it's really that. I think it has to be interesting to me. It has mm-hmm. to be uh, it has there has to be joy in whatever the the project is that you're doing and the big thing for me is that it has to mean something you know what I mean not not just be doing something just to do it just because it's a check I think that it can feel that way a little a little bit sometimes <laughs> there's two phrases that I use kind of frequently when I look at certain things or when I think about like whether or not I'm going to take a gig, which is like, is this going to be a joyless time suck? And if it is like, why do that? Right. Totally. Or is this a joyless money grab? You know what I mean? Like, is that if I, if it's not going to be, uh, if I'm not going to be excited about this, am I at least going to be able to live for the next couple of months (laughs) off of what I'm doing right now? Yeah. I think that's the thing is like we're sold this idea, right? That you'll become some genius creative. And when you like think about it, it's like people who are 
wealthy creatives. They have a money guy. They've got a team of lawyers. They probably got like people who are cooking their meals. And literally like the reason why they get to be creative all day is because there are other people who they are paying to take care of all these other elements of their life. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13 You've been working, but you're flirting With the weekend, you can freak out One in a million You're a gem, shine when the light grows dim Sing one, two, three, four, three, two, one what are, like, what are some of the creative ways that you've made money? However you define creative making money Oh, I... I... Let's see. I'm trying to think of some of the stuff that I've done just while I've been here in Detroit. I mean, like I've been doing sort of odds and ends creative projects since I was in my early 20s. You know, Mm. when I was 21, 22, around there, moved into a house with like, you know, 37 roommates. Not really, but kind of. Yeah. And we threw shows and we had like weekly, it's like a weekly sort of popcorn Quaker meeting house style open mic. You just get up when the movement moment feels right. And we call them hoot nannies. And literally like everybody in the neighborhood would come over on Friday nights. And it was the best, but it was also wild because I lived in a house of musicians and I, mm. I, I like grew up playing violin and guitar a little bit, but I never really considered myself like that wasn't my creative practice. It was just like something I did for fun. And while I was there, I made, two different albums the first album was a blast because it was just like i would just be like putzing around with a four track recorder with cassette tapes this was like old school and i'd be like all right i got this idea for a song and i would just like whoever was around i'd be like all right you're on guitar you come in here play drums (laughs) like i could just be like all right guys we're gonna record a song two takes that's it you know (laughs) like (laughs) what do you still have those cassettes uh, yeah, I mean, they got transferred onto CD and I think they're probably even available on like Bandcamp because we ended up starting a, a record label because we were all doing this. We were just like constantly producing music because we had the show every week. So it was like, you know, and it wasn't particularly competitive, but it was this thing of like, we're constantly just trying to like impress each other and have new stuff to show off. And so I think we all ended up making albums that would just be like, you know, sell it, put it on a CD, sell it for five bucks. And that was the record label. Yeah. (laughs) So into it. Did your record label have a name? The White House Family Record, House H-A-U-S, because we Mm. lived in a big White House. And when we moved in, the uh, the guys, the construction guys who worked for the 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 guys who owned the house, called it the Casablanca, and so we were like, yeah, we'll just call it the White House. Um. Amazing. <laughs> so on the flip side of that coin, what are some of the creativity killing ways that you've made money? Oh Lord. <laughs> um. <laughs> Here's a good example. When I graduated from school I didn't know what I was going to do with my life and my uncle he's actually my cousin but he's old enough that he could be my uncle so I just called my uncle he'd been like oh you should uh you should check out city year I was like okay I don't know what that is but I'll look into it applied got this gig at city year Boston working as a core member which is like an AmeriCorps job which means oh. they, they pay you dirt and you have to be on food stamps to even survive and you work like it was definitely more than 40 hours a week. You know, like we taught in middle school civics classrooms, ran an after school program. And then there would be like events all the time. 
that you also had to show up for. So, you know, at a certain point we started calculating like, okay, the more I work, the less I make. And at this point, am I making 32 cents an hour? I think that's about what I'm making. Ouch. And I don't remember that being a particularly fruitful time for me creatively. (laughs) Funny that. It seems as if my time was occupied completely elsewhere. So what do you wish you had known about money earlier on in your creative practice? At a certain point, uh, I don't know when this was, probably my late 20s. One of the things that I realized that I think has really stuck with me and I continue to like really hold this pretty steadfastly is that your time is always more valuable than money. Don't do don't do stuff that you don't want to do just because, you know, I mean, unless they're going to pay you enough that it's worth it because you'll get a bunch of time back out of whatever the initial investment is. Right. Yeah. And I wish I had known that. I wish that that wasn't such a like hard one conclusion, I guess. Mm. But I think that that's something money is clearly important. I kind of disagree with the idea of like money isn't everything. It's like, mm. are you a trust fund kid? Yeah. Like everything kind of is money, you know, yeah. like it, it, it really dictates how we make choices in our lives. You know, at least for those of us who do not have the benefit of just being kept afloat by somebody else. It's weird being a millennial. I think one of the things that like we realize, right. As generationally is like, we do not have by any means, the same opportunities as people who are older than us. Yeah. And so I think I, 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 th- I think I wish that I had learned earlier on to like expand income sources, you know, like just be kind of like throwing more stuff at a wall and seeing what would stick. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't do that, but like, I think if I had like leaned into that as opposed to trying to like tightly narrow my focus into academia, there might've been a breakthrough there that I wouldn't have seen coming. And I think that is what happened to me after I graduated from grad school. Right. It's like, Oh, I had applied to PhD programs and didn't get in out of the master's program. Went to work for this camp, had applied that summer for the right house thing. And then by the end of the summer, had a house and was like, okay, well, I don't know what's going to happen next. I have no idea what's going to happen next for my career. All I know is I need to make a fast break for Detroit now. Right. Mm -hmm. I I cannot keep paying rent in Brooklyn for sure. (laughs) And I have this opportunity now because... It's created all this visibility that I am now like officially a writer for real. So I think that's part of it too, is that like sometimes you take a chance on something and it doesn't work out and that's okay. You know, like it's all a learning process. Sometimes you take a chance on something and it does work out and that's, it's, it's like mind blowing when that happens, you know, it's absolutely really, really like one of the best decisions I think I made was just being like, well, all right, fuck it. Let's see if we can win a house in Detroit. Oh, we did. Oh, oh, oh. Wait, what? What? <laughs> what? What is my life now? You know, like. <laughs> totally. So my final question for you, Casey. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for other creatives when it comes to money and creative work? Honestly, my best advice is do what you love to do and what you want to do and then figure out the money part, you know, Mm. create what it is that you want to create and don't 
let the money dictate what that is. Yeah. This is really the biggest thing because you're not going to be satisfied at all if if you're just you know keep chasing if you're only chasing paper and not chasing the creative ideas that excite you Mm -hmm. so real well thank you for that and thank you for doing this interview i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me the used key is hosted and produced by me ray kess if you have thoughts or questions about this episode that you would like to share head over to the url in the show description and let me know what you're thinking about And just a reminder that money is a really personal topic for all of us. So if you're going to comment on today's show, please do so in a way that is thoughtful and respectful. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and for showing up to do the creative work that matters to you. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay bright.